it's probably going to be too many for you to turn to every single one of them. Um, So if there are certain ones that you've missed or you're taking notes, get a copy of the message and maybe you can just uh, listen to it at your own pace and get the verses down. There There will be some passages that I want you to turn with me on. Um, but wanted to let you know that. We just started a new series last week titled, Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. You know, during Jesus' ministry, he often referred to the kingdom. Let me just ask this question. How many, uh, I, don't, I would venture to say not a lot of people here were born and raised in the Church of God movement, okay? How many of you have never really, can say you've never really heard a message on the kingdom? Let me see your hands. It's okay. How many of you have never really heard the message on the kingdom? Okay. How many of you have heard the message on the kingdom? Okay, so maybe about half and half here, okay. Uh, but what is the kingdom? That's the question, right? That's what we're here to discuss. Last week we asked the question, when Jesus first came, did he come to restore the ancient kingdom of Israel back to its glory days, as the Jews at that time so desperately wanted him to do? Or does it refer to a literal earthly kingdom that Jesus will set up when he comes a second time? One that will last for a millennia or a thousand years after the supposed battle of Armageddon? Or was this kingdom something else altogether? I'm proposing to you today that the kingdom that Jesus referred to was not a restoration of the ancient Israel kingdom, kingdom of Israel nor is it a kingdom that he will institute when he comes back again. If you were to study all the times that Jesus talked about the kingdom, you would notice that he did not call it the kingdom of Israel, nor did he say the kingdom of the earth, but he referred to it as the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. He said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He also said in Luke 6, 20, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I can already tell my voice is going to give me fits this morning. Some people uh, ask the question, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? There is no difference. It's one and the same, right, Chuck? Uh, It's one and the same. If you're not sure about that, we can compare scripture verses. But there's two right there referring to the same thing. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, yours is the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? Simply put, let me define it this way, and I'll leave this up here for a little bit in case some of you want to write this down. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the spiritual realm in which Jesus Christ rules and reigns over the hearts and lives of those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen to that. Let me read that again. The kingdom of God is the spiritual realm in which Jesus Christ rules and reigns over the hearts and lives of those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. 
As we'll soon see, this is the only kingdom, praise the Lord, that Jesus came to establish. It's for this reason that he came. And this is wonderful news for all of us today. Why do I say that? If we believe that he came to reestablish an earthly kingdom just for the Jews, guess what? That leaves you and I out. But no, this kingdom is for everyone. Those who accept him, that's who the kingdom is for. How can we say this? Let's explore further. The first point that we want to make today. First, the kingdom is a present day reality. The kingdom is a present day reality. I've mentioned last week that today there are many people who feel that the first time that Jesus came, he meant to set up an earthly kingdom. This was his plan A. This was his initial plan. But the Jews thwarted his plan. So these same, these same adherents believe that since plan A went awry, God needed a backup plan, plan B. Plan B teaches that this earthly kingdom will be established when Jesus returns, when he comes back a second time. And it will be established at some unknown time in the future after the supposed battle of Armageddon. Let me just quickly make a side note here. That's telling us that he has a plan A and that he has a plan B. When it comes to matters involving faith, We as humans may not always choose God's original plan for our lives. We understand that oftentimes happens. But when it comes to His overall divine master plan, God does not need any backup plan. Somebody say amen to that. He does not need a backup plan, folks. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that before the world was ever created, God had a plan that involved redeeming you and me for Himself. This involves the message of the kingdom. He does not have a plan B, nor does He have a plan C, D, E, or F. His ways are perfect. Not only is our God all-powerful and ever-present, He is all-knowing. And to suggest that God's master plan was somehow thwarted by man is preposterous. Don't believe that. So what does the Scripture teach us? Scripture teaches us that when Jesus came, the kingdom of God also came and became a present day reality. One that could be experienced right then and there. Again, this has huge implications for our world, for all of mankind, all of humanity, because that means that we can experience the kingdom today, right here and right now. Praise God. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus there said after that, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the phrase there is, the kingdom is at hand. Those aren't my words, that's the words of the word of God in Jesus' red letter. The kingdom is at hand. You know, when something is at hand, that means it's here, right? That means it's here. Not something that may or may not come or something off in the future, but it's something that is here. 
It's something to be witnessed and experienced here and now. You know, when the pizza delivery man comes and knocks at your door and your front door, you know he's at hand, right? You know he's there with the pizza in hand. (laughs) You would not even think about thinking, well, I'll answer the door in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. No, he is there. I was thinking of an explanation, and um, um, Denise told us about Chloe. You know, when expectant mothers, they all know when the time is at hand. Amen? You know when that time is, is come. The time that their baby is come, there's no question, there's no doubt. The baby is coming, and he's coming now. What do you think would have happened if whenever our kids were there, coming or born, I looked at Stephanie and said, Ah, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> No, it's not. Now, quit your whining. Quit your complaining. You're acting like you're in pain. No, you're just, no, we've got a long time yet. If I would have said that, I would not have been there to see the birth of my kids. I can tell you that. <laughs> that scripture verse in Matthew 4.17 where Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message, the, the message translation says it this way. Jesus says, God's kingdom is here. So any talk, any discussion about the kingdom that God, that Jesus came to establish was thwarted or was somewhere off in the distance, they're refuting Jesus' own words. Mark chapter 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is, say that word for me, the time is fulfilled. Does that mean it's something off in the distance? No, it means it is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Another confirmation, another red letter confirmation from Jesus himself that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. There was no future time this kingdom would come. It came when Jesus came. Well, that was pretty cool. That never happens. I opened up the first time and got to the very next passage that I needed. Does that mean anything? No, it just means I opened up the very first passage. Sometimes we spiritualize too many things in this life. Um, our title, Thy Kingdom, or Thy Kingdom Come, Matthew chapter 6. We know this famous verse, Jesus says, In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy Kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what I find interesting is, you know, we know this verse so well. Some people would say, well, that kingdom, it's, it's not there. It's talking about something in the future. No, he just said, thy kingdom come. There's so many passages we could go into this. But what I find ish, interesting is after this verse, we know what it says. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Every single one of those points are things that God can do right now. Right? God gives us those things we need to survive spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially. He gives us those things daily. Forgiveness for ourselves and for those who have offended us can happen here 
And now, deliverance from the daily temptations and the one from whom they come can happen today, right here and now. Now, if all of these things are things that can happen today, right here and right now, then that means we can experience thy kingdom come right here and right now as well. The kingdom of God is a present day reality, church. Praise the Lord for that. Mandy, my foots are kicking. My foots are going up. Number two. The kingdom is not an outward kingdom, but it's a kingdom of the heart. It's not an outward kingdom, but it's a kingdom of the heart. Let me turn to my next passage. I read in my devotions this week another reminder of what we talked about last week. After Jesus rose from the dead, Luke chapter 24 tells us that as Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, he come up along beside two people. Many of you know the story. They were talking about all the events of the past few days. Let me read what it tells us here. And Jesus said to them, What things, referring to what things are you talking about, So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. This is what they're telling Jesus. And if you said, they were like, don't you know? Are you like the only person on the face of the planet who doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem? These are the things that took place. And then they said, but we were hoping that that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, that's the very thing we talked about last week, church. They all thought that Jesus was the man. He was the Messiah who would once again restore Israel to its national prominence. Based on Scripture like these, Scriptures like these, it is an undeniable fact that the Jews were looking for their Messiah to come in their lifetime and that he would be a victorious warrior, defeat Rome, and restore Israel to its former glory days. They were looking for an earthly kingdom. But is this what Jesus came to set up? No. Luke chapter 17 20 through 21 says this. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, here it is again, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, like this. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Amen, Phyllis. A powerful verse showing us that the kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom, church. Jesus just said that His kingdom is not going to be something that you're going to be able to see with the natural eye. It's not going to be an actual place, an actual physical place here on earth. I think what Jesus was trying to say, saying, look, you've got to stop looking at the literal. You've got to start looking at, stop looking at the physical. It's not a literal kingdom here on earth. And I'm sorry to tell you, but my kingdom will not be in the actual city of Jerusalem. And I'm not going to necessarily take up residence where King David and his throne was. 
You Samaritans, sorry, I'm not going to be on Mount Gerizim either. It's not going to be any physical place. You're not going to be able to say it's over here two miles to the up north and three miles uh, east. It's not going to be like that at all. And I love this. That last line, Jesus says, For the kingdom of God is already among you. Uh, the new King James says this. says, For the kingdom of God is within you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's a great verse right there. Within the hearts of mankind. Let's explore this just a little bit further. What Jesus was saying was that His kingdom would be a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31-33. Let me read this. A prophecy. Hundreds of years before Jesus came and Jeremiah wrote these words, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. You see, it became within. (laughs) And I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, this new law, this new covenant, this kingdom would be one written not on the physical stone tablets, but one that would be written, as Jesus said, within, with, on, and in the heart. Here is something I do want you to follow me on. Go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Everyone turn to John 18. Ooh, I feel like I'm going 88 mile an hour. Hmm. This is the scene of where Jesus is dragged before Pilate, before the crucifixion. When the religious took Jesus before Pilate, they were hoping that they could get Pilate to look at Jesus as a threat because of Jesus' claims of being king and king of the Jews. But look at the exchange that the two of them had, keeping in mind again that it's, the kingdom is not an outward kingdom, but it's a kingdom of the heart. John chapter 18, starting with verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? By the way, folks, you know that every kingdom has to have a king, right? We know who our king is. Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Boy, there's a whole message just in that verse right there. Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, and hear this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. 
And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This is pretty clear cut, is it not? Jesus said things like, my kingdom is not of this world. But now my kingdom is not from here. I am a king. For this reason I was born. Church, the kingdom Jesus came to set up was not of this world. It was something out of this world. It was divine. What Jesus was referring to here was his kingdom that he came to impart to the hearts of mankind. Still not sure. Let's, you don't have to turn there, but look at Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not a literal, physical, earthly realm where one can touch it, one can smell it, one can feel it, we can taste, we can eat, we can drink in this kingdom. That's not what it is. But it is one where there is joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? There is one, it's a one where there is peace and there is righteousness, there is contentment in the heart of mankind. Amen. Third, and then lastly for today, how does one enter the kingdom? How does one enter this kingdom? As I said, if there is a kingdom, then there must be a king. And if there is a kingdom, and if there is a king, then that must mean there are citizens that live in the kingdom. You know, one of the biggest controversies taking place in our country today is the issue of immigration, right? If you watch the news at all, this is just one of the, this is the hot button, one of the hot buttons that's taking place in our political world today. Thousands upon thousands of people from other lands are desperately trying to get into the United States to become U.S. citizens. Some are coming illegally, some are coming legally. President Trump is claiming that he is trying to vet everyone that comes through our land in order to keep our country safe, while others see his efforts as cruel and heartless. No matter how you feel on the topic, one fact remains. We are a nation of laws, and the only way that an immigrant can become and enjoy all the privileges of living in America is by becoming a legal U.S. citizen. That's just the law. It's the law of the land. The laws of our land dictate that an immigrant must go through certain steps and procedures if they want to become a citizen. And I was thinking about this, and this is, really can be parlayed into the kingdom of God. If you or I want to enjoy all the privileges and all the benefits of living in the kingdom of God, we too have certain steps in order to become a citizen of the kingdom. Knowing that Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, how does this happen? How does someone receive the kingdom within to become a citizen of the kingdom? Popular passage that we see in John chapter 3, 1 through 3 involving a man named Nicodemus. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After one dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Interesting that 
did you notice he came at night? Why did he come at night? Because he didn't want the rest of his followers to see him. He was embarrassed. I mean, he was the enemy to the religious leaders, but there was... Hmm. After one dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is within you. And notice Jesus' words. He replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What just happened here? First off, Jesus saw right through Nicodemus. Now, even though it does not come right out and say this, I believe that Nicodemus was an immigrant. I believe he was. Yet he was of Jewish descent, not physically. He was a part of the Jewish race. But he sensed in his heart that he was a foreigner in God's eyes. And he may not have known exactly how to word it, but he wanted what Jesus was offering. He wanted to become a citizen within this kingdom that Jesus was king. And Jesus knew it. Isn't it interesting? Nicodemus didn't say that, but he knew what was in the heart of Nicodemus. See, it doesn't matter, folks, what you and I say or do. God knows what's in our heart. He knows where we're at. He knows where you're living. He knows if there's sincerity in your heart or not. He knows if you're playing games or not. And he knows... And he knew that Nicodemus wanted a part of this. Here again, Jesus tells Nicodemus and he tells all of humanity exactly what you and I and what one must do to become and to live and be a citizen within the kingdom of God. He said you must be born again. He cannot put it any more simple than that. Cannot be any more plain than that, church. Jesus said you want to be a citizen to live and, and experience all the blessings of the kingdom. You must be born again. Simply put, you must admit, you must accept the fact that you are a sinner when you come into this world. For all sins fall short of the glory of God. You must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that God raised him from the dead. You must confess that he is Lord. That's it. You do that and you're in. You're a citizen. I don't know what all the steps were, and I didn't have time to really explore it, but you can get online or go to YouTube and uh, look at the steps of a U.S. citizen or what they have to do to become a U.S. citizen. And I'm sure there's many things. They have to put their hand over their heart and, and do various things. I don't know if take a training class. or uh, they, I think they all have to stand at one time and put their hand over their heart and recite a pledge that they're, gonna, they're, they're going to abide by the laws of, of the land. Basically, that's what we're doing when we come into the kingdom of God. We're placing our hand over our heart, so to speak, and we're saying, I admit it. I'm wrong. See, this is really a salvation message, church. If you've never ABC'd it, if you've never admitted, acknowledged that you're a sinner, believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, if you've never confessed your sins before God, guess what? You're not a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're not. I didn't say that. God's word says that. 
We enter into the kingdom when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and as we yield our lives. This is going to be later on in the message on this series. And as we yield our lives to him so that he can be both Lord and King throughout the remaining, remaining days of our life. This is why both John the Baptist and Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There must be a conversion of heart. I'm getting ready to close, but there is one passage you have to read with me. You may have read it before. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I was thinking about this, and this got me excited the other day. Speaking of immigrants... which you know that before we come to Christ, we're all immigrants. Right? We're all immigrants. Ephesians chapter 2. Earlier I mentioned the process that immigrants go through, or they probably go through in order to receive proper citizenship in the United States. When we take Jesus to be Lord and Savior, look what Ephesians 2 says, starting with verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that you... Once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcised, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Somebody say praise God for that. For he himself is our peace. And listen to this next thing. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. President Trump is going to build a wall, isn't he? But God has taken down that wall in our lives spiritually when Jesus Christ came. Praise the Lord. Skip to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For, though, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is good stuff. That is rich. I love really rich desserts. I love them when they're just rich, rich, rich. If I'm going to have icing, I want about that much icing on top of my cake. That is rich right there. Some of you know I've got about a birthday in about a month, and Stephanie bakes me a <laughs> Stephanie bakes me a cake, and on top of me she puts uh, this um, icing. I have it as thick. I eat the entire cake myself. You all can't have any. My family can't have any. I have to have their, they have to have their own dessert when it comes to Brock's birthday. I take about a whole week and I eat this cake, and I'll, say, I'll get two tubs of the icing. And I just pile it on top. I love it. Rich stuff. That has nothing to do with the message whatsoever. I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> That's rich. Ephesians is rich. We're all immigrants. We're all aliens. We're foreigners. When he died on the cross, the veil, the veil was torn from top to bottom and that wall of separation was disintegrated and we were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That ought to excite someone this morning. It excites me. Amen. Whew. One more verse, as we've already seen. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Folks, no one comes to Jesus. What does this verse mean? Some of you, this is the Beatitudes. Some of you may say to yourself, well, I never really understood what that verse means. Poor in spirit. This is what it means. No one comes to Jesus without first realizing that they're a sinner. No one comes to Jesus without first realizing just how poor. They have nothing to give. Jesus says, I bought you with a price. How can you pay me back? God, I have nothing. My spirit is poor. And I've fallen short. No one ultimately comes to Jesus without realizing just how poor they are in spirit. And when this happens, that's when the kingdom of God is near. Because only when we humble ourselves and we see ourselves for who and what we really are can we come to Jesus and ultimately become a child of God and ultimately become a citizen within the kingdom of God. I've never seen anyone come to Jesus with an arrogant heart, with a proud heart. They've always come broken, contrite, with a poor spirit. Wow. Thank you, God. Band, come on up. Or singers or whoever's going to do what they're doing. Joyce, I think you're playing on this. Many of you know this story, but some of you don't. You've heard of the man, John Newton. But if you, some of you don't know this story, and I want to tell this. John Newton was born in London in July, on July 24th, 1725. He was the son of a merchant ship commander who sailed the Mediterranean. When John was 11, he went to sea with his father, spending his time either on boat or in the local taverns, just as a little boy. Learning all the deplorable and evil ways of a sailor. (laughs) Later in life, John became captain captain of his own ship, one that transported Africans for a slave trade. But on May 10th, 1748, As he was attempting to steer his ship through a violent storm, this shook him to his core. He didn't think that he was going to live. This experience brought him face to face with death and shook him to his uttermost being. Henry, he recorded in his journal that when all seemed lost and the ship was surely going to be sunk, he exclaimed, Lord, have mercy on us. God did have mercy and God saved him and the crew and everybody on board. John Newton observed that day, May 10th, 1748, as the day of his conversion, a day of humiliation in which he subjected his will to a higher power. He soon got out of the slave and shipping business and eventually became a minister of the gospel. You see, John Newton is an example of Matthew 5.3. He became poor in spirit right then and there in the middle of a storm. 
He realized that he was in trouble. He had nothing to give to his God. He had nothing to give in order to ask this request to save him, but he did anyways with a broken heart, and he became poor in spirit. What's led to him entering the kingdom of God. And shortly after his conversion, reflecting on that pivotal day at sea is when John wrote the words, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We're going to sing that song. I don't know if there's anyone here this morning that you're poor in spirit. Maybe you're not yet a citizen within the kingdom of God. If you are, then rejoice as I rejoice this day. As we can walk out of here and say, praise the Lord, I'm a child of God, I'm a citizen within the kingdom of God. But maybe you don't have your citizenship. Maybe you don't have your papers. Maybe you don't know if you are a citizen. You can know today by accepting him as Lord and Savior. We would love to pray with you. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, thank you. Thank you. For not only coming to set up a kingdom, but making a way so that all of us, all of humanity can become a child and a citizen within your kingdom. Lord, if there's someone here this morning, you're tapping them on the heart. Holy Spirit, there's someone here that you're speaking to. They've never really, really become poor in spirit. They've been arrogant. They've lived life their way. They've done things their way, and now their life is a mess. Maybe they've been a citizen, and Lord, they've walked away from the kingdom. Lord, they can come back if they'll just humble themselves this morning. Make their way to an altar. They can accept you right where they're at, but there's just something about this public consecration. Jesus, you said if you are... Embarrassed of me on earth, I'll be embarrassed of you before my Father in heaven. Father, may we not be like that. Lord, we thank you for the message. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the glorious truth that is in your word. Have your way. Again, Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that just needs to do business with you. Lord, maybe it's just something totally different. You've been speaking to someone about just dealing with you on an issue in their life. This time is for them. We thank you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?